All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I tend to open these things with a thank you, and I'm going to do so again. Whether you're a long-time listener or a newer time or a first time even, it I know there are still new people finding the show, uh, which is... I don't quite know how to phrase it. You do something long enough and you just kind of... You know, you have built-in uh, jokes or speech patterns or things that you reference all the time. And So if you're a newer fan, if you're a newer uh, listener to the show, I shouldn't even call you a fan necessarily. I don't know that I have fans in the traditional sense. But if you're a newer listener and I reference older things, I apologize if you're... <laughs> A little bit lost on that. I, I will try at least to a little bit include uh, you know, references to other shows or other events or fighters that you can potentially look up uh, my reactions to. But I'm just I'm grateful that you're all here. Uh, we're still enjoying a a pretty good up. We're having a pretty good February actually. I don't talk you know behind the scenes stuff all that often here, which is weird because I've now mentioned that a few different times. But that's more that's more to give you context for me saying thank you. January was a big month for the show. February seems to be certainly tracking very, very well. So I am just super, super grateful to all of you. I mean, this is... I imagine this is more you than me at this point. Uh, I plug this on any of the other podcasts and whatnot that I go on. So if you found me through some of the other stuff that I do on occasion, I thank you again. Uh, But if you are listening, please like, comment, subscribe. Uh, If you're... Whatever your podcast platform of choice is, there's a way you can interact with the product somehow. Uh, you know, follow, a subscription, a star rating, a written review, a comment, anything and everything helps. It all helps. Uh, you know, we're we trying to please the algorithm, which is an unknowable eldritch abomination that will soon run the universe. Uh, at least the human world, given how technology is going. And yeesh, that will be a dark day indeed. So I just, any, of, any and all of that helps. So thank you very much in, uh, for all of that that you're able to do. If you've done all that, please share the show. Let other people know it's here. Let other people know that we do this, and that will that helps a great deal as well, too. So thank you so, so much in advance for all of that. Um, I suppose I... I don't like talking a lot of real world... Real world seems like a weird way to phrase something that talks about a sport, but... I don't tend to talk a lot about world events and whatnot. One, I think it dates uh, the shows, and two... Unless it's very relevant to what I'm talking about, it tends to just uh, gum up the works a little bit. So I'm going to be very brief about this and just express, for whatever value my uh, my moral support, which I have, and whatever value you particularly ascribe to prayers, and I'm a religious man, so I tend to put a lot of value into prayer. If you don't, I'm not here to preach to you, just for the record. Uh, for the people of Ukraine as they are dealing with, you know, what's going on uh, between Russia and Ukraine at the moment. So, again, I, I know that this means almost nothing. And if you out there have the ability to donate to a reputable foundation that can help out, I know UNICEF is uh, taking donations and whatnot. Anything that you can do to help, uh, <clears throat> I would encourage you to do so. But if you can't, I mean... God knows in light. It's, it's really odd whenever something big like this happens because you always feel a little bit crappy that you're not in a position to do something or to do something more. 
yet the fact that there's a you know, military invasion going on doesn't change the fact that you have bills to pay and you might not be able to donate uh, financially and you feel like crap because what you're potentially going through is nothing compared to what other people are going through but it doesn't alter reality all that much so again, if you can uh, I would encourage you to do so it's a terrible thing that's going on over there right now uh, anything that you can do and if you're if all you can do is pray and again as a religious man I do think that that has value so all right on the agenda this evening now that I've gotten that out of the way last night UFC on ESPN plus 60 check that I'm correct about the number there yes also known as UFC Fight Night 202, also known as UFC Vegas 49. There's uh, just oh so many naming schemes the UFC could be using. It's it's deeply annoying. Uh, trying to keep track of all that. So we'll be reviewing that. Uh, not a bad card. Some good highs. Uh, not too many, you know terrible lows or anything, so we'll go over that. Do a little bit of talk about the wider combat sports world. Um, because there was some stuff. I mean, Bellator had an event on Friday. Uh, there was some boxing. So we'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff. So if you're uh, so if you're only here for the MMA, I do I just hope that you'll bear with me while I talk a little bit of boxing. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I, I've i become more and more aware that doing a little bit to help break down some of the fake barriers between boxing and MMA is a good thing. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a fan of boxing. I'm really not. If you are if you don't enjoy it, Godspeed party on. But I just the acrimony that existed for a long time and that was used by promoters of both boxing and MMA... Uh, to exploit uh, just, uh, uh, for their own per purely selfish reasons, I think it's something that needs to go. Again, you don't have to be a fan. I'm not asking you to be a fan. I'm just saying that, you know, boxing's not dead. Boxing doesn't suck. If you don't like it, that's cool. Uh, but I do talk a little bit about it on occasion because I happen to enjoy it, and it's relevant because I like talking combat sports, MMA-centric, but I touch on others on occasion here, so... That's all that. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that and preview UFC 272. The UFC is back on pay-per-view. We have the big grudge match between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. The fight to determine the 1-2 uh, Rafael as Rafael Fiziev will fight Rafael Dos Anjos. So we'll go over that card as well and then see what might break between now and then in the MMA news space. So with all that in mind, let's let's jump into UFC on ESPN Plus 60. Your main event, not terribly surprising, the outcome not terribly surprising, the method and a lot of stuff around it a little bit, uh, Islam Makashev defeats Bobby Green via TKO punches, 323 of the first round. Uh, Bobby Green took this fight on very short notice, filling in for the injured Benil Daryush. Uh, not a... He tried, I, I don't, when I say the following, when I say he didn't have a whole lot to offer Makashev, that's not to say that he went in there and just, you know, immediately jobbed out and did nothing. He certainly did the best that he could do, but under the under the circumstances, 
he was not able to mount a terribly spirited resistance. He defended a first takedown pretty good, but Makashev, uh, he, he was good. One thing about Bobby Green, I think needed to needs to be mentioned very briefly. Uh, he did a good job of hand fighting in the clinch. He didn't really let Makashev ever fully get chest to chest. He was constantly trying to arm drag him. Uh, not the professional wrestling kind, but the uh, amateur wrestling kind of arm drag. So he was to try and keep Makashev from being able to really lock up. Uh, just when they broke, Makashev shot a double against the fence and got him down. And then from there, passed without too much difficulty, got to the mount, started unloading, got to the back mount, really unloaded. Green wasn't thrilled with the stoppage. Uh, I can understand his partial objection to it, but in reality, when you get someone with the back and you've got both hooks in from the back, especially if you're on top, one of the ways you can tell someone really has you kind of screwed is that your back isn't flat, it actually bows. You're, the downward pressure with the hips from the guy on top, guy or girl, I'm going to default to guy just for the sake of argument here. If they can drive their hips down hard enough, your lower back arches and your feet will actually come off the mat. Uh, some of that's because uh, you, you get that deep arch. And when you can't leverage your legs to try and help you address that position, you can't do anything, really. Uh, Glover Teixeira is really good about doing this as well. If you watch some of his fights, when he gets t uh, if he gets back mount and he's on top, so instead of instead of both of you being on a, on a side or him being the one on the map, he's still got the back. If he gets on top with back mount, he will do the same thing. So you... you Look up some of his earlier fights where that end in that position. You can see this. You can see him do it too. Uh, and that's kind of the position Green was in. And Makashev was just postured up, looking to unload. Green was not really in a position to address what was going on. Uh, ref stops it. I'm okay with the stoppage. It's not, he didn't stop it. The ref didn't stop it as soon as they got to that position. He did give Green a chance to kind of okay, let's see if you can address this. But by the time that he did, it was pretty clear that Green. Didn't have much of an answer for the position, and at that point, all he's going to do is get hit in the head more. So, I was okay with the stoppage. Uh, there's been a weird kind of reaction to this fight, and I'm not quite sure where what, what the genesis is. Uh, but there's a lot of people now going, you know, Makashev really shouldn't fight for the belt next. They should try to rebook the Daryush fight. They should make him versus Chandler or him versus Poirier. And I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that logic. Some of this is still kind of reflected discontentment by a lot of people with, from a lot of people with Khabib. There's a growing contingent of people who go, you know, Khabib never beat anybody, which is ridiculous. I mean, if you wanted to go through the like most of his fights pre-UFC... There's a period of time when he fights a lot of people who have no wins. That's absolutely true, and that's absolutely fair. I think the only counterpoint I have to that, and this is not me saying that Khabib is, you know, the best that's ever been or anything like that, but if you look at anyone who has double-digit fights on the smaller regional scene of MMA, wherever they happen to be, anyone who does a lot of that stuff, you see, you will be able to find a chunk of their opposition that is like one and two, zero oh and five, stuff like that. Now, a little bit disproportionate for Khabib, maybe, maybe. 
Uh, I, I'm certainly not going to defend every bit of matchmaking from every step of his professional career. I don't know enough about every step of it to do so. But there, there's a bit of a movement that, you know, he got all the way to the belt and he'd never, he'd never beat anyone who was in the top five and stuff like that. And it just, it's a sad bit of revisionist history and it doesn't really serve any purpose. I don't know why I, I get that not everyone's a fan of Khabib and I'm not here to advocate for you to be a fan of his, but that's a really weird claim to try and make. Uh, I know that he won the title against a guy who took it on last minute notice but it's not like he hadn't signed to fight Tony Ferguson four times, because he had. It's not like he defended the title against two of the top, two of the best middleweights in the world right now, in Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey. He did. I don't know where you want to rank Connor right now. I, mean, that, I don't say I don't exclude Connor from that conversation to insult him. I exclude him because I genuinely don't know where I would rank him right now at lightweight. I mean, Conor McGregor has a whopping one win at lightweight in the UFC ever. It was a title win. It was a certainly a monumental one in a in a, a historic context. But where does he fit in the scheme of the division? Is he better than Charles Oliveira? Probably not. Better than Poirier? Definitively not. Better than Gagey? I'm not saying he couldn't win. I'm just saying I would favor Gagey better than Makashev would murder that man, possibly. Like, that's a terrible fight for Connor stylistically. Better than Chandler? I don't know who I would favor in that fight. I might like Chandler's chances, quite honestly. So is Connor a top five lightweight at the moment? I mean, I don't rank him at all right now because of active because of the injury issue. And frankly the fact that he's on like a three fight losing streak. Uh yeah, uh two, sorry. Because he lost to he beat Cowboy and then he had like the back-to-back losses to Poirier. I forget exactly where, but I might be forgetting one. But like, so one in so what one in three in his last four, something like that, with these like vast periods of inactivity. Uh, I'm just not gonna rank the guy. But and now we're getting a bit of the same thing with Makashev where well has he beaten anyone in the top 10 has he beaten anyone in the top 5 no partially because I mean, he was gonna fight Benil Daryush here who's ranked what is Daryush ranked at the moment the the UFC rankings right now have not been updated uh at at relative to last night's card so these will be uh you know again pre-update but yeah, Daryush is ranked three, Makashev was four coming into this. So, I mean, he beat Dan Hooker when Dan Hooker was, I think, borderline top five, and he made short work of Hooker. And he signed to fight the number three guy in the world in the UFC. Did it's not his fault that Daryush got injured. Uh, but now again, there's a bit of well, we should remake that fight. He should fight someone up there. Guys, if this is your position. I mean this in all sincerity. Why? Just just why? He's not only on a 10-fight winning streak, which he is now. He has finished his last, what, three? His last three or four. 
At least three. Four. He's finished the last four. Now, tapping out Drew Dober, you might go, okay, Drew Dober, tough guy, but unranked and not really, you know, a big mover. He handily beat Tiago Moises and tapped him in the fourth round, and if you... If you're more of a casual fan, you may not appreciate how good Tiago Moises is, but you should. Then he taps Dan Hooker in, like, two and a half minutes. And here he TKOs Bobby Green in less than three and a half. I mean, let's just for the record, let's let's go down his U, let's go through his UFC record thus far. Debuts and beats Leo Kuntz. Loses to Adriano Martins, his only loss. Next up, it's Chris Wade, Nick Lenz, Clayson T, Balkajian Johnson, Armin Saryuki, and Davi Hamos, Drew Dober, Tiago Moises, Dan Hooker, Bobby Green. That's a good run. That's a really good run. And who are we... Here's the other thing I want to know about this. If, if your position is, well, he needs to beat... Uh, we don't have a timetable. If we had a timetable for Benil Daryush's return, maybe you could make the argument... Uh, some of that's also going to depend on how, you know, the Poirier and Gaethje fight plays, uh, not Poirier, excuse me, the uh, Oliveira and Gaethje fight plays out. The timing might get a little bit wonky. But in general, like, why? Has anything that he's done not indicated to you that he is a championship caliber fighter? I mean, it's one thing to beat the guys he's beaten. It's another thing to do it the way he's done it, to be as consistent as he's been. I mean, I wanted the fight with Daryush to go down. I liked his chances in that fight, but I wanted that fight. It was a great fight. The winner of that fight would have been the next guy. But, well, crap happens. I don't know what the argument would be. I mean, Poirier already lost to Oliveira. Daryush is out for who knows how long. And the other one above him is Gaethje, who's fighting for the belt. Chandler's on a two-fight losing streak. And don't get me wrong, tough fight. And if they made that fight, I'm not going to complain, because it'll be awesome. But what are we waiting for here? I, I, I mean that in all sincerity. What are you waiting for? Why are you delaying his title shot at this point? Because you need a pretty compelling reason, and I don't think there is one. With Daryush out of the picture for the moment, and Poirier already having lost his title shot, and Gaethje getting the next shot, who's next? We go down the list, it is Islam Makashev. Not, not to mention, it's one thing to beat Bobby Green. Like, Bobby Green, first of all, is so much better than the unranked status that he's given. Now, I'm not saying he should be in the top 15. It's more to say that Unless the unless the UFC wanted to rank every fighter on their roster individually, you have to draw a line somewhere, and 15's as good a place as any, I guess. It's not an certainly not an unreasonable position, but it does mean that you wind up lumping someone like Bobby Green in with someone like. Let me pick a random guy who's at lightweight. Uh. Look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pick a random lightweight from UFC 272 who is unranked. Let's have a look. Okay. It means you lump Bobby Green in with, you know, Jamie Malarkey. Now, I'm not trying to dump on Jamie Malarkey at all, or and there's nothing lightweight. Okay, or, or Ludovic Klein. Or Devontae Smith. 
Now, I'm not saying anything bad about those fighters. Some of them are quite good, and I am not here to disparage them. I am here to say that lumping every one of the unranked into everyone outside of the top 15 into the unranked category is going to be misleading about a lot of guys. Bobby Green is one of those guys. Uh, Green was on a really solid run at the moment and took this fight on very short notice. And it's one thing to beat him. It's another thing. You know the last time Bobby Green was finished? If you listen to the preview show, you do. He hasn't been finished since he fought Dustin Poirier in 2016. He's had some losses since then. Uh, Some I agreed with, some I didn't. But no one's finished him in, what, six years? Right about six years, yeah. And for Makashev to do it in three and a half minutes? Less? Like, that's a big deal. And even even if you want to take the position that, you know, a ranked contender fighting an unranked guy shouldn't advance you too much... The method of victory in that case does become relevant. If this had gone the distance, you know, maybe you could make a different argument. But he got a tough guy out of there in 3 minutes and 23 seconds. I mean, and I don't think he really got hit. How many how, much did he, how many strikes did they credit him with? Let me have a quick look at that. Because Makashev has... Has some of the most ludicrous stats you'll ever you'll ever come across. And let, let me take a quick look here. So the total strikes Bobby Green is credited with landing eleven. Uh, significant strikes nine of thirteen. I'd have to go back and rewatch this to see. Okay, and of those nine, uh, three are to the body. That doesn't quite add up. Anyway, 66% were to the body, so we're probably looking at stuff that was done in the clinch, like knees uh, in that position. Yeah, it's... He didn't really land anything. Um, I mean, Makashev's numbers... uh, Let me talk about him in just a second. Let Let me finish my point here. At this point, if you're trying to say that Makashev shouldn't get the next title shot, I don't understand your position. If your position is, I would like to see him fight another ranked contender, first, I question A, why, given the situation we currently find ourselves in, and B, to what end? I mean, I'm I'm all for guys having to earn their title shots. I really am. I, I don't like guys that parachute in most of the time. There are scenarios where I understand it more than others. We're not. I mean, Mikashev's not being parachuted in. He's not jumping the line. He is quite literally assuming. He, I'm going to assume that he's going to be ranked number three after this, if not number two. Like he's just going to get bumped up in the rankings. And if your argument at that point becomes the rankings don't matter, then why do you care if he fights a ranked contender? And. If, again, if the argument is, he is he next? Well, given the situation at lightweight, yes. 
he would be the next guy for the champion, whether that's Gaethje or Oliveira. And frankly, I like his chances against both of them. Won't be shocked if he loses to either of them, because we're talking about the top of, if not the best, then just a sliver behind the best division in the sport. The margins for error here are impossibly small. And <clears throat> and nobody winning any given fight should necessarily surprise you. Again, there's occasions when method of victory can be a bit surprising, but I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if Dustin Poirier beat Charles Oliveira. I wasn't surprised. I actually picked Poirier. I wasn't surprised when Oliveira beat Poirier, though. They're both exceptional fighters. Neither of them winning should be a surprise. But just getting to Mikasha for just a second here. I mean, his... Having a just... Do you know how often this guy gets hit? This is stupid. This is absolutely stupid low. Okay, the I believe the average fighter in the UFC gets hit um, around, what, three-ish times a minute? I forget the exact number, so forgive me. I want to say it was something like... Um, uh, like 2.7 to 3.3. I forget exactly, but three or so, three or more is kind of on the high end. You don't really want to be getting hit significantly that often, but uh, but and of course, the better you are defensively, the lower that number is. I mean, if you want to talk, one of the one of the lowest averages uh, that I ever saw, bring him up again, was Khabib. I mean, if we look at um. Uh, you know, take a look at Israel Adesanya real fast, for the sake of argument. Uh, because I know he's, he's, you know, great. Uh... Yeah, the average might be more like three than I thought, uh, and probably a little above three. Anyway, Adesanya is, he absorbs two and a half strikes a minute. Uh, Khabib absorbed, he's retired now, so he'll use the past tense. I mean, he was like 1.3, 1.5, something stupid low. Uh, take a quick look for him. Uh, he absorbed 1.75, which is, I'm going to stress this again, that is ridiculously low. If you're only getting, if you're getting hit less than two times a minute, you're doing something really, really good. He's getting hit, again, 1.7, was getting hit 1.7 times. Uh, significant strikes absorbed a minute. Ridiculously low, that's a significant level of dominance. Then there's Islam Makashev. Who, through his, what, 12 UFC fights? Yeah, because he had one before the loss, and then now the 10-fight winning streak. So through 10 fights, through 12 fights total. We're dealing with a fairly significant sample size here. Strikes absorbed per minute, significant strikes absorbed per minute, 0.84. That guy's getting hit less than once every 60-second interval, averaged out. I mean, that's ridiculous. I could take down de- his takedown defense accuracy is pretty good too. It's 
anything north of 50 is really good. I mean, people can't hurt him. They can't hit him. It, it, look, somebody's going to change that at some point. You fight long enough, it will happen. I mean, Khabib had to overcome adversity a couple of times, and he was a very dominant fighter, obviously. Adesanya's had to deal with it on occasion. Pick your champion, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, Pick your fighter, even. You don't have, we don't have to reduce this to champions only. But through 12 fights against some really good guys... To not just not get hit that often. That's insane. I mean, that's absolutely nuts. Uh, <laughs> he's... he's uh, they've indicated he's going to fight for the belt next. I'm down for that. There's going to be a little bit of pending to see what happens between Oliveira and Gaethje if there's controversy there. Uh... Or if somebody wins but is injured, like there's still a little bit of malleable space uh, that's going to go on here. But as a general rule, I'm okay. Look, I'm okay with him fighting for the belt next. Like I, I don't. Would I have preferred this to be a fight with Darius? Yes, of course. But I just beat the brakes off of Bobby Green. That doesn't happen all that often. He's on a 10-fight winning streak. He's beaten some really talented guys along the way. He's taken no damage. I'm I'm going to ask again. I mean this in all sincerity. What are you... Wh- why would you put this off? He's not leapfrogging anyone unfairly. He's not... <laughs> uh, he's not going from beating... You know, purely the unranked masses to fighting for the belt. He's been escalating in opposition. And everything about the performances themselves speak to championship caliber fighter. Now, I mean, let me put this in a slightly different way. Uh, When Connor got his first title shot at featherweight... It was a little bit premature because there were several guys ranked above him that I thought might have been getting the shaft. He wound up fighting Chad Mendez anyway. Uh, At which point, again, seriously, at at that point, what are you waiting for after he beats Mendez? I mean, at that point, he's interim champion. Unification becomes obvious. But there there does come a point. I mean, I saw someone say, well, if Makashev deserves a title shot, then so does Sean O'Malley. Like, no. Sean O'Malley has fought no one close to the caliber of Dan Hooker, right? The closest he might have gotten was the Chito Vera fight, and Marlon Chito Vera, you know, we know what Vera did to him. Vera beat him pretty soundly. There's a difference between only fighting unranked, to put that in air quotes. Well, like, this this is kind of the point, right? There's the guys O'Malley's been fighting, who are all who thus far have been either fellow UFC debutants, guys with losing UFC records. His only step up in opposition, uh, in terms of significant opposition, was Vera. And that went badly. And since then, you know, they've been kind of rebuilding him a little bit, so he's been back to... Who has Sean O'Malley fought recently? We fought Howley and Paiva not too long ago, but... Uh, who is... 
That was his most recent fight. Uh, yeah. So since beating, since losing to Vera, Thomas Almeida, very much washed. Chris Moutinho, short notice. Okay, fair enough. And then Holly and Paiva, a guy with a losing UFC record, I seem to recall. Check that. Okay, he was uh, not losing, but he was three and two. Uh, and it spent most of that at flyweight. Though there's a real difference in quality of opposition between between Islam Makhachev and Sean O'Malley, and that should be very evident to anyone not insane. So Makhachev should fight for the belt next. I kind of like his chances, to be candid. I might favor... I, I'm going to have to go back and get a little bit noodly with my kind of observations about uh, that particular match as it comes, but... It's, uh... Don't be shocked if he wins. And don't be shocked if he holds that belt for a while. He is that good. Uh, I hope Bobby Green gets another main event on the back of this. I mean, he did the UFC a pretty serious solid here. Uh, I have no doubt that the UFC, when Daryush fell out, that the UFC went to every ranked lightweight who was not otherwise occupied. And you, okay, you're not going to call, you know, Gaethje because he's getting ready for the fight with, uh, for the title fight, and Daryush is injured. But I, I would almost bet money every other lightweight that's ranked that, is not otherwise scheduled or occupied. They called and said, come fight Islam Makashev on, you know, what, three weeks notice, give or take? And they wound up with Bobby Green, which ought to tell you how far down the Rolodex they got, to the extent that a Rolodex is a thing, is a reference people understand anymore. So I, I would love to see Green get another main event. Uh, someone a bit more like lower top 15, I mean, who would object to him and Brad Riddell, right? Brad Riddell's number 14. You got Carlos Diego Fajaya at 15. Uh, so Yukin's at 13. That's not going to hold. He's going to bump up a little bit after what he did. And we'll talk about him in a second or two. But, you know, someone like that, uh, and let him have a main event slot against them, because why not? You you let all kinds of people main event fight, fight nights these days. You just had Jamal Hill and <laughs> Johnny Walker. I know that wasn't the original main event, but the point stands. If you deem that acceptable, even after the loss of a main of a main event, you can give Bobby Green a main event uh, with a full training camp, and let's see what that looks like. So that was your main event. The rest of these should be a little bit faster to get through. So yeah, uh, yeah. Makashev going towards the belt, probably going to be champion. My inclination, as I think about it right now, I mean, look, if he if Charles Oliveira is able to give him problems in the clinch or uh, utilize a dangerous guard or maybe sneak around to his back at some point, wouldn't surprise me if Gaethje beats Oliveira. Justin Gaethje's a hammer, man. I mean, Makashev doesn't get hit all that often, but Gaethje, opposite stances, Gaethje will just make your life hell. Even if you, be, I've said this before, even if you beat him, you're going through hell with that guy. Uh he might be able he might be able to find Makashev's chin in a way that you know d that does him in and Gaethje's defensive wrestling is solid. I mean, obviously it would work a little bit differently against Makashev than against others because of who Makashev is, but point stands. 
Though either of them might be able to beat him, he we're talking. Like I said we're talking about the top end of lightweight. Anybody beating anybody shouldn't be a surprise. But uh, don't. So I I just Makashev's really good. He is really good. All right, co-main event: Wellington Turman defeats Misa Serkinov via armbar, 129 of the second. Uh, some interesting stuff, I suppose, in the first round. Uh, Turman gets the back, gets the backpack position, goes for the choke for a while. Serkinov has a, a pretty good baseball bat grip on one of the arms, uh, which is able to you know, block the choke because you. It's not that you can't choke someone with only one hand around their neck, and you can. Do a one-armed rear naked choke is really hard, especially if they know what they're doing. So if you control one arm, you're mostly safe. Uh, he got pretty close at one point. He switched uh, which arm Terman was attacking with, but Serkinov kind of attacked the body hooks, got him off at an angle, slung him to the ground, and just unloaded with ground and pound. Uh, nearly got a north-south choke, but Terman survived. Second round... They clinch up pretty quickly, Serkinov with a decent enough little foot sweep takedown on top in full guard. Gets a little bit lazy with his arm position and throws kind of a lackluster punch with his left hand. And Terman just like lightning, man. Kicks around, armbar, immediate tap from Serkinov. He knew he was toast. Uh, really nice win from Terman there. Serkinov is a guy that I had high hopes for at one point, but... He's not seemed to be able to really put it together, so. I don't know how much longer he is for the UFC at this point. And that does, I don't take pleasure in saying that, but he's on a three-fight losing streak. He's two and six in his last eight. It's not in a good spot. And the move to middleweight doesn't seem to have helped him. Uh, women's flyweight Priscilla Kashwaya defeated Ji Yeon Kim via unanimous decision, 29-28. This was your fight of the night. Uh, I disagreed with the decision here. I was pretty vehement about it the night of the event, but now that I've I've mellowed a little bit in my temperament, uh, I gave it to Kim all three rounds, doing it live. Now, the first round, I'm not sure about. That's one of the ones I'm least confident about. Second round was all Kim. Third round is where things kind of get dicey, believe it or not, because for three and a half minutes... Kim beats up Priscilla Cashway as she jabs her. She's landing good one-twos. Uh, just a nice technical boxing lesson as Cashway just misses wild hooks over and over and over again. Then for the last little bit, Cashway starts throwing elbows. She goes full on, I'm going to come forward and just swing elbows at you. She cuts uh, Kim around the... It, it wasn't... Uh, a bad cut in the sense that it was a potential fight stop. It was around the outside of the left orbital. It's kind of down by the cheek. Uh, but she spent the last 90 seconds or so just coming forward and swinging, and apparently it was enough to steal the round on for most of the judges. Uh, you look at Kashwaya's face afterwards, and it was a mess, though. She was beaten up and swollen, and Kim had a cut, but she wasn't that badly hurt. Uh from where I was sitting, a couple of things about why I scored this for Kim. First, I'm not... I think that the... Uh, Kashwaya... Uh, if you want to argue about the first round, I'm, thinking I'm going to talk about the third round first. So, third round. 
I think the efficacy of the elbows is somewhat oversold. Uh, I think Keshway also got hurt more earlier in that first round than a lot of people real in that round than a lot of people realized. Uh, I think she's just very programmed to even if she gets hurt, keep coming forward. And I, I think Kim's striking did more damage and had a bigger impact than most people realized because Kashuea just kept marching forward through it. Uh, my opinion there. I don't think the... I'm not saying the elbows did nothing, but I I believe there's a little bit of the just... Well, Kashuea was coming forward for the last bit, so what she was doing was more effective, and I'm not sold on that. Uh, if... If you want to give her the third round because you think that what she did in the immediacy of the end of that round was more impactful than the previous, you know, than the majority of the round previous to it, I'm not, I think that's a defensible position. Which brings us back to the first round, which might be more of a swing round than I think people, than uh, was originally given credit. And I don't think Keshwaya landed cleanly as much as people thought she did. Uh, I I, I don't know. I thought Kim won the fight. I scored it for her. So, that's where I've landed on that. I don't think Keshwaya should be in the UFC because of what she her deliberate eye-gouging in the Jillian Robertson fight. I thought that should have been her ticket out of the promotion. I, again, this was your fight of the night, so I suppose that's some degree of comfort to Kim. But she, she got screwed a little bit. I'm not going to say she got completely screwed because, boy, were there... One of the commentators on my live, on my post-fight uh, report wanted to know where Clucky was when it came to the scoring of that fight because I didn't reference him. Well, Clucky was in Scotland, and we will talk at least a little bit about that particular boxing fight where Clucky was... That's where Clucky was hanging out on Saturday. Uh, I might disagree with the scoring of this one, but... Uh, and pretty vehemently, but this had nothing on what happened to poor Jack Catterall. Uh, Catterall? Catterall? Catterall, I, and Josh Taylor. I, sorry, I forget how to pronounce that guy's last name. Um, yeah, fight of the night, Don't I don't argue with that at all. Uh, fun little scrap. Wrong outcome, but fun scrap. Lightweight, oh boy. Armin Saryukian defeats Joel Alvarez via TKO, punches and elbows, 157 of the second. Um... The size difference here was stark. I mean, Alvarez is an enormous lightweight. He's 6'3". I don't know how he makes 155. I mean, he's missed weight his last couple of times. He made it here, so kudos to him. But I don't know how much longer he's going to stick around that weight class, man. That's that's That weight cut's only going to get harder. Uh, so you can, yeah, was able to get him down fairly quickly and... Alvarez had a pretty good defensive guard for most of the round, but at one point, Soyukin was able to just uh, posture up a little bit and land. He landed a few other elbows, but he landed one, man, that cut uh, Alvarez on, like, the bridge of the nose and then a little bit up around the, uh, the inside of the left eyebrow. And immediately, just buckets of blood. I mean... I don't know what it is with some people in that spot kind of up. It's not just the bridge of the nose. It's like high up kind of between the eyes. But something about that spot, man, if you can cut it, it just it just goes. I mean, the first fight between Cain Velasquez and Bigfoot Silva. 
that's all it was. A short little elbow. The cut on Silva's face wasn't even all that bad by any sort of reasonable definition of a bad cut. But it just bled and would not stop. Uh, same kind of thing here. Much worse cut in this case. Uh, you could you could almost see some skull uh, on one of those cuts. It was, again, just buckets of blood on, on the Muda scale, if my professional wrestling fans my, uh, still understand the reference. Just pouring out of uh, out of Alvarez's head. And so you can spend the rest of the round kind of pounding on him. Come out for the second, and Alvarez doesn't seem to have a whole lot left at this point, so Yukin gets him down pretty quickly and just rides and pounds on him until Alv- until the referee saves him. Uh, so Yukian is his, I believe his only, I know his only UFC loss, it might be his only loss, no, only UFC loss. He fought Islam Makashev on short notice. He replaced, uh, who did he replace for that fight? Because Makashev was supposed to fight somebody else. Um, really? Not sure. Uh, that might not be accurate. They might have just given him that fight. Uh, I'm going to double check that. I stand corrected. Uh, that was not on short notice. Um, it was just always the fight that, that was just always that fight. And he gave Makashev a, I mean, the scoring of that fight was not, it, the outcome was not in was not in contestation. Nobody thought Saryukian won, but Saryukian gave Makashev a pretty significant fight there. Like that, that's a darn good fight actually. If you haven't seen it, uh, from the Overeem and Olenek card, go back and rewatch it uh, or watch it the first time. It's it's a good fight. Uh, and kicking off the main card, I have an apology to make here. Armin Petrosian defeated Gregory Rodriguez via split decision, 29-28 each way. Then a 30-27 for Petrosian that I did not understand. Uh, when previewing this, I confused Armin Petrosian with Andre Petrovsky. Mea culpa. Uh, that's on me. No one else. So my bad. Uh, I still think I would have gotten the prediction. I would have leaned the way I did. So I don't know if I would have been right. Uh, this was a good fight. Don't quite understand the 30-27. I thought Rodriguez had the... What was it? The third? At least one of the rounds. I, I forget exactly which one. But these two had a darn good fight. In fact, apart from Kim and Kashwaya, this was probably going to be fight of the night. Uh, really good stuff out of both out of both men. Petrosian just staying a little bit busier uh, for the majority of the fight. Uh, Rodriguez had some power punches, though, and they had a good back-and-forth fight. Uh, look it up if you haven't seen it. That was your main card. As for the prelims, Ignacio Bahamondes defeated Rongju via submission. This is listed on Wikipedia as a Bravo choke. There's no way that's accurate. Um, wrong missed weight. Uh, which is never a good thing. I believe it. Uh, yeah, wrong is his family name, yes? He's, he's from that part of Tibet where a lot of times they kind of like list themselves almost as having just one name. Um... I don't know if Rong is the family name or Zhu is the family name. I'd have, I genuinely don't know. I've seen him listed both ways, and frequently when they're listed, depending on where you're on the, uh, on the place you're looking at, they will either westernize it or not, because uh, Chinese 
Now again, Chinese and Japanese fighters in particular will list their family names and then their personal names. Uh, so when they're listed and frequently when they list them for the UFC, they just, you know, give some about your name. My name is whatever. And they then are listed by that by that way because the and the UFC will then list them the way that they give their name normally. So again, family name first. And you just have to understand that. Uh, again, so for me, if I were to li- if my name were listed in the way that it is over uh, over in that part of the world, it would be Winfrey Robert, not Robert Winfrey. Just a it's just a cultural thing. And the UFC will then list them the same way that they give them. They ju- you just have to understand that the family name is what comes first. I I think. So I point being there, I'm not sure which is which on him because I'm I haven't really uh, sorted that out. So I I go I just say wrong at the moment uh, because I think that's his family name, but I'll try to double check that. Uh, anyway, Bahamundes, man, big guy for the weight class. He's another of these like enormous lightweights. Uh, He's 6'3". Is Alfred 6'3"? Or... Yeah. Our second 6'3 lightweight of the evening. Um, they had a pretty good fight for a while. These two got into it a little bit. Uh, Bahamundes was just better at distance, kept his kicking game working. One of the things about Baha... Okay, since we were talking about uh, you know, strike tallies and whatnot, uh, if you want to... Slightly different example, um, Bahamundes, I mean, Bahamundes landed 126 significant strikes. He landed 133 of the 204 total strikes he threw. But just for the absorbed and whatnot, yeah, Bahamundes, he absorbs, yeah, five strikes a minute. He lands eight, he lands 8.3, but... Absorbing that much is not great. Now, slightly smaller sample size for him. He's only had four fights in the UFC, but just as a frame of reference. Uh, yeah, he kept a good pace. Um, the finish finish came as Wrong tries a desperation takedown, and Bahamundes starts grabbing at a... I don't know if you call it a power guillotine or a ninja choke. Depending on which school, uh, who your instructor is, the answer might vary. Uh, it's uh, where you get the guillotine kind of position, but instead of using your hand around, the, uh, you, you know, your hand or your wrist on the throat, you get all the way around so that uh, you've got almost the rear naked choke kind of position with their chin in the crook of your elbow, and you kind of squeeze from there. So he goes for that. I tend to see it, I've heard it referred to as both power uh, power guillotine and a ninja choke, and there's probably some very small distinction between the two that matters uh, if you're defending or whatnot, but has no functional difference for the purposes of discussion. And he goes for that, and Rong drops to his back to try and alleviate the pressure of the choke, which is one of the right things to do. But as he does... Um, Bahamundes holds on to it and kind of gets more on top into the side. And he gets the choke. And I, I get why you might think it's a Darce or a Bravo. There's technically a difference between those two as well. But again, some of these distinctions are somewhat are distinctions without a difference. Uh, but he didn't have the arm in, and that's kind of important for that choke. Um, 
I think I saw Luke Thomas refer to this as a modified version of the uh, bread cutter. Uh, nasty choke. I mean, he got it. Uh, he absolutely got it and got the tap. And Bahamundes keeps on. He, he's got to sort out his defense because he takes way too much damage. But uh, again, relative to the you know, discussion about being 6'3", I don't know how long. He's a young guy too, isn't he? How old is Bahamundes? Yeah, he's 24. Um, he's probably not going to stick around lightweight too much longer. But good finish. Uh, Josiane Nunes defeated Ramona Pasquale via unanimous decision. Two 30-27s, one 30-26. Uh, I'm fine with those scores. want to give Pasquale credit. Uh, she took this fight on short notice. And... Did not perform badly. You know, the 30-26 might make it seem like this was a slightly less competitive fight than it was. Uh, she showed off a good chin, pretty good clinch work. Uh, I would be curious to see her in the UFC again. Uh, for those of you keeping track of these things, uh, she she represents Hong Kong, and the UFC did not show the Hong Kong flag for her. They didn't do it for this another fighter, uh, Sasha Poletnikov, who fights out of Hong Kong. And they don't give them the... Uh, because they don't want the Chinese fight kit or the Chinese flag on their graphic. But because the UFC likes the Chinese government, they don't put up the Hong Kong flag. So, yeah. Make of that what you will. Uh, solid enough performance out of Nunes overall. This was, again, not a great fight, but probably the worst fight of the night. And I don't mean that as a negative. Uh, let's see. Terrence McKinney defeated Faraz Ziam via rear naked choke, 2-11 of the first. Terrence McKinney has some... That's someone to pay attention to, guys. Uh, need to see him tested a bit more, but... There might be something there. Let's see. Featherweight Jonathan Martinez and Alejandro Perez. Pretty good fight, to the shock of no one, given their participants. Um, Perez just didn't quite have a whole lot uh, to really offer Martinez. I mean, he got around, but uh, he was the smaller guy. I think Perez spends more of his time at bantamweight than fl than featherweight, and that was obvious as these two kind of got going. But Jonathan Martinez is pretty legit. Uh, I mean, he's got a couple of losses. The 29-28, I think, might largely stem from Perez knocking Martinez down at the end of the first. Uh, Martinez had won the round up until that point. If you thought it was enough to sway you, then okay, I didn't, but... It was a legitimate knockdown, so. Yeah, he's got a couple of, lo he's got a few losses in the UFC. Uh, he lost his debut, won a couple, dropped a close split decision to Andre Ewell, and then two fights later, won two more fights, got knocked out by Davey Grant. Uh, that was pretty nasty. Uh, Grant, Grant legitimately knocked him out. But ma there's something, there's something to Martinez. Uh, if he can really kind of iron out some of his, uh, some of his inconsistencies, he'll be... There'll be someone at featherweight that you'll have to... You'll remember him, to be sure. Uh, welterweight, Ramiz Brahimai defeated Michael Gilmore via rear naked choke, 202 of the first. Gilmore had almost nothing for this fight. And kicking everything off, Carlos Hernandez defeated Victor Altamirano via split decision. 29-28 for either man is perfectly acceptable. The 30-27 for Hernandez I didn't get. 29-28 uh, for either man. Cool. Close fight. Now, there were a couple of there were a couple of close rounds, but the 30-27 just I I didn't get that.
Altamirano seemed to have at least... Oh, which round was it? Uh, I forget which round it was. But there was... This is one of those where I can see 29-28, but I... There was a... I don't know. I just 30-27 seems off to me. Then again, I might... I might be doing the thing I hate that people do, where they want the they want these scores to reflect the action. When in reality, if you have three close rounds and you lean one towards one guy in all three, that's perfectly defensible. Uh, I'd have to rewatch the fight and rescore it to really kind of see if that's what's going on there or not. But uh, fun little fight from the flyweights to kick off the event. So uh, your Bonus, your bonus winners, again, fight of the night was Kashwaya and Kim. Performances of the night went to Armin Saryukian and Wellington Terman. No arguments with either of those. Uh, yeah, Sar I've mentioned this before, but Saryukian is due. Uh, he should fight someone ranked above him. He was 13 coming into this. He will jump up probably at least one spot, so he might supplant Mateus Gamrot. Um... And so Yuki and Gregor Gillespie would be nut, would be awesome. Dan Hooker's moving back down to featherweight allegedly, so if we take him out of the equation, uh, yeah, I I would think Gillespie. Um, I don't know what's up with Tony Ferguson. Maybe Soyuki and Tony Ferguson. I mean that's a that's a rough fight for Tony, and not just in the sense that it might be a stylistically tough fight. It would be a very tough fight for Soyuki. That's a big step up in competition. But that might also be, if Ferguson were to lose that one, and I don't mean this as a dismissal of Saryukian, but if Tony Ferguson drops to drops three fights in a row and the most recent one to Saryukian, that might, that would probably be the end of even the outside, shot, outside possibility of Ferguson being a title picture player. Uh, which would be a shame, I've said this before, man, it's a shame that he never got a shot at the undisputed belt. It's a real shame we never got him and Khabib at all. Uh... One of the tragedies of the sport. So anyway, that was UFC on ESPN Plus 60. So I thank you all for who happened to follow along with that live or who read after the fact. Uh, means a lot to me that you all do so. Uh, do a quick little check here. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for that. All right, let's move on. And let's talk about some more general combat sports stuff. So I'm going to try to go through these fairly quickly. All right, in the boxing world, let's start with this one. Uh, I provided live watch along for the main event for the, Showbox, for the Showtime card last night with Mark Radulich. So if you're interested in that, you can look at look for my podcasting stuff under the W2M network, and we talked about this one. But before I talk about that fight, let me just very briefly... Uh, your boxing fight of the year thus far, Fernando Martinez upsets longtime 115-pound, which I believe is, what, junior bantamweight? Lightweight's 135. Lightweight's 125. Bantamweight's around the 118-ish mark. The one, yeah, I think it's light bantamweight or junior bantamweight, one of those two. Um... Or I suppose you make maybe you could call it super flyweight. Sorry, the 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 way boxing lists their uh, some of their <laughs> weight classes is annoying and a little bit confusing to me. Anyway, uh, 
after the after Gary Russell Jr. had lost his title um, a little bit ago, uh, this particular champion out of the Philippines, Jerwin Ancajas, was the longest tenured active champion, and Fernando Martinez scores a significant upset, beats him via unanimous decision. This fight was a war. Uh, Martinez wins, non-controversial scoring, pretty easy to score fight too, believe it or not. But these two just beat the crap out of each other. Uh, most of it was in the pocket. Uh, just non-stop action, non-stop barrage of punches, so much head trauma. Uh, boxing fight of the year and every other boxing fight has an uphill climb to try and overtake that one. Great fight. If you're even remotely interested, look it up. It will be worth your time. Uh, the other upset on that card came in the main event when Hector Garcia upset Chris Colbert uh, via unanimous decision. Uh, Mark and I talked... Again, Mark and I covered this live, so if you want my like round-by-round round stuff and whatnot, you can find it. Uh, this was kind of designed... Colbert was supposed to be fighting for a world title... Um, Against Gutierrez, first name escapes me, uh, and Garcia just came to work, uh, kept kept swinging the axe, man, just got in Colbert's face. Colbert didn't really do a lot of footwork for most of the fight, kept firing, kept even when he wasn't having tremendous effect. Garcia just kept working, kept working. The tide seemed like it might be starting to turn, and then in the seventh round, Gar uh, Colbert gets lazy on an entry. Garcia cracks him and drops him with a left, and Colbert never really recovers. They still go the distance, and when I say he never really recovers, I don't mean in the sense that he was hurt, but, which, don't get me wrong, he was. But it seemed like that moment just shattered his confidence. He never really got his, uh, his moxie, his mojo, uh, the I don't know what other whatever other bizarre adjective we have for this one, but he never got the confidence back, and Garcia just kept plugging away and got a win, and he should get the next, he's probably going to get the title shot at Gutierrez after this. So pretty big setback for Colbert, who was a guy a lot of people were looking you know, were looking at. Sticking with boxing for a second, the fight between this 140 pounds. Uh, the undisputed 140-pound champion Josh Taylor defeats Jack Catterall via split decision. Uh, what a load of crap. What an absolute load of crap. I mean, most people that I was watching score this live. I have I didn't get to watch it live. Scored it for Catterall, sometimes by some wide margins. Uh, some people whose opinion on boxing scoring I trust a great deal tended to be in the 8-4 to four category. And there was a knockdown at one point for Catterall. He dropped Taylor. Now, the referee deducted a point from Catterall at one point for a stupid reason, like terrible decision. Uh, he then deducted a point later from Taylor for taking a shot after the bell which is entirely justified. Uh, I I don't understand this. Like, this was a terrible decision. 
that was mailed in before the fights happened. Like, that that's really the only explanation I have for this. This was... I can't even call this one incompetence. One of the judges had it... Um, what was it? One... I think one of them had it 117 to 111 for Taylor, and that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, let me double-check the scores. I don't want to speak out of turn about that one. Hang on. Yeah, I'm glad I corrected myself on that one. Um, yeah, there was a 114-111, I'm sorry. Which, yeah, is just terrible. Like, it's, it's just terrible. That particular judge gave... What did he give Taylor? 2, 3, 4, 7, 9, 10, and 12. Uh, yeah, that that's crap. That's absolute crap. I mean, the 113-112 for Taylor is crap, too, just for the record. That judge gave him, what, 2, 3, 7, yeah, 9, 10, and 12. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I... Having watched it myself, I was 8 to 4 for... Uh, for Catterall, this was... This was crap. Like, this is the kind of thing that makes it point... That makes people not want to pay attention to boxing because it's a... Like, how can you care when something like this happens? Like, you, you're supposed to... You undermine confidence in the integrity of your sport when this crap happens. And if people don't feel that what's happening is real, they won't watch. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, Colbert might... Not Colbert, sorry. Taylor might not be at 140 anymore. He might be moving on. I mean, after the fact... Most of the world is calling for a rematch because they saw what happened. Taylor's like, no, uh don't see any reason for a rematch. And I'm not going to blame him so much for that. I mean, he knows what happened. He got... There was only one round. One. Where he outstruck Catterall numerically. Now, that's purely numerical, not uh, qualitative in terms of, like, qu uh, quality of strikes. But when you get outlanded as badly as he did, and he got outlanded pretty badly, um, I think over the course of the fight, Catterall landed, like, 50 more punches. And boxing's a little bit funky in some respects. Um, it's a little bit like basketball, if you look at punch tallies, in the sense that... You know, but what's the difference in basketball as far as strategy as you play? The goal isn't necessarily to score and stop the other person from scoring, because that's not terribly reasonable. It's too fast-paced. The goal is to get a differential going. So that even, so I score two, they score two, I score two, I stop them, I score two more, then they score two, right? Uh, I score three, then they score only two. No, I've got, again, you need the differential over the course of the game, and you can try to, and you try to build it and, and whatnot, but boxing can be a little bit like that, where, and obviously with the opportunity to end it at any given moment, but you, you see a little bit of the point. If you're able to build a punch differential that significant over 12 rounds, that says a lot. I mean, that says a lot about that fight. 
Uh, last bit of news here, I suppose. There was a Bellator event. Uh, just going to mention this briefly. Gegard Mousasi defended his Bellator title against Austin Vanderford. Um, I do think Mousasi's slipping. going to sound weird considering he beat the guy in like the first round fairly quickly. I do think Musasi's on the downhill side of things. And to be clear, with his number of fights and the years he's dedicated to fighting, who could blame him? But afterwards, he was like, yeah, I'm the best middleweight in the world, and I laughed. Like, you blew out a guy in Bellator who had never fought anywhere near that level of opposition. And you want to pretend you could... I would not favor him to beat Robert Whitaker, much less Adesanya. I wouldn't favor him to beat Paulo Costa. To beat, well, okay, that might be a bit of a stretch. I would not favor him to beat Marvin Vittori. Now, that doesn't mean he couldn't do it. But it does mean that at this point in time, if you match those two up, who are you favoring? I'm favoring Vittori. So, um, which is not to say that what uh, Musasi did wasn't impressive. It was. But I think the appropriate uh, response kind of came out of, I forget who said this on Twitter. You know, Musasi tends to look better the worse of opposition he fights, and that's true. Uh, I'm not saying Vanderford doesn't have ability, but he was just, he was nowhere near ready for this. And that's just reality. But Musasi did defend the belt, and now the inevitable, you know, Musasi's an all-time great. I don't know that he's an all-time great. I will say, Musasi is underappreciated as a general rule. Uh, I don't... People tend to either overrate his career or dismiss it. The reality is, it's, you know, more in the... It leans more impressive than you might think, especially if you're trying to dismiss it. But it is not what some of the fanboys want you to think it is either. So, uh, that's my little uh, roundup for the rest of the weekend in combat sports. I thank you for sticking with me through the discussion of, you know, stuff that you might not be as interested in. But, let's get on to something you will care about. UFC 272. This Saturday, the UFC back on pay-per-view main event grudge match between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. I don't quite know what to make of this fight, by which I mean the following. <sighs> Jorge Masvidal is a very good fighter. But... The way Colby Covington fights might be uniquely situated to give him problems. Masvidal can be out-wrestled. Not easily, but it can be done. Masvidal on the feet can fall behind in terms of volume. Uh, And Covington is not only a doggedly determined wrestler. He's a... He's a grinder on the feet, too, in the sense that he just wants to keep a high pace and keep things going and keep you going, and he's going to wear you down, man. And he has worn down some very good strikers that way. Most of what he did when he beat Robbie Lawler was on the feet. People forget that. He spent the first round wrestling, and the rest of that fight was just his absurd cardio and his punch output uh, and just kind of... going after Lawler over and over and over and over again. 
both men are coming off of losses to Kamaru Usman. I actually thought Covington won that fight. Not the first one. He got stopped in the first one, but the most recent one from UFC 268, I scored that for Covington. I gave him 3, 4, and 5. And frankly, I stand by that. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying I hate giving it to Usman. I think I think you can go 3 to 2 Usman and have it be a defensible scorecard. I really do. But I thought Covington won, candidly. Uh, whereas Masvidal, famously, was badly knocked out. Now, neither of these gentlemen are Kamaru Usman, so I don't expect that to have a tremendous amount of bearing on this. But I'm not going to be shocked if Masvidal wins. Let me start with that. He's very good. Covington fights Southpaw. That opens up the body kick. I don't know how much... Masvidal is one of the better body kickers in the sport. Unfortunately, I'm not sure how much he'll use it because that will open up Covington's takedowns. I expect Covington to wrestle for... Not the whole fight. I don't know how... uh, sustainable that will be. But at least a round and a half. Round and a half to two. I think he's going to dedicate to wrestling. Because that'll get Masvidal a little bit more tired. It'll wear things down. It'll slow him down. And then after that, he can get back to... And he'll We'll get a bit more of the striking. Um, the first round in particular, I think, is going to be key for Covington to slow things down. Because Masvidal's going to come out. And he's going to try to take this guy's head off. Uh so I'm, I, my inclination is just Covington. I think he's, I think his style gives Masvidal problems, and yeah, that, that's kind of the long and the short of it. I mean, it's not that Masvidal can't beat wrestlers; he can. It's not that Masvidal can't beat you if you want to strike with him; he can. Masvidal's a very good fighter, and he could very well win this fight, and I would not be surprised one iota. I'm going to go one bit further. I don't think there's a way Masvidal could win that would surprise me. I mean, there might be, you know, he might still deliver a shocking moment, but if he knocks him out, am I going to be surprised? Not really. Uh, if he submits him, am I going to be am I going to be surprised? Not really. If he wins a decision, am I going to be surprised? Not really. I find the decision less likely. Uh, I tend to think that if this goes the distance, it will favor Covington, but it's not not at all outside the realm of possibility that Masvidal can win a decision. And somewhat the reverse. I would be surprised if Covington one punch or one kicks Masvidal because he's not demonstrated that kind of power. But if he wears him down, gets a good position, and gets a TKO, not going to be surprised. If he catches a submission, not going to be surprised. Decision, not going to be... I'm just... I don't think there's a way this could go that would genuinely shock me. Uh, maybe if Covington comes out and knocks out Masvidal with a flying knee. That would be a bit shocking. But again, at that point, we're getting into very deep specifics. Uh, but I lean towards Covington. I I think he's just a stylistic problem for Masvidal. But uh, it should be a good fight, so... I look forward to watching it. Co-main event. Another five-rounder here. Uh, Rafael dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev. It's nice to see RDA 
Not fighting a guy who's going to fence wrestle him to death for once. Uh, he is back at lightweight. He returned to lightweight in November of last year and he beat Paul Felder via split decision. That was a darn good fight. Uh, this is the first time Fiziev... Fiziev? I can never remember how he prefers that. Um, but he's coming off of a good win. He had a, a nice wheel kick knockout of Brad Riddell at the end of last year. Uh, this is his first five-round fight. He had some cardio issues in the Bobby Green fight. Uh, they, Bobby Green made him keep a very high pace, and Fazeev faded in the third. Uh, that was not that same problem was not in evidence when he fought Brad Riddell. Now that might have been a slightly more that might have been a pace more conducive to letting him stay fresh in the third, or he might have, you know, seen that he gassed out and worked on the issue and wouldn't. It's very very plausible. Dos Santos had been five rounds multiple times. I'm not worried about his gas tank. Uh, my heart wants to go with Rafael Dos Anjos. I have a, I have a soft spot for RDA. Dos Anjos seems destined to be a forgotten great. Uh, he's one of the best pressure fighters that the sport's ever seen. He's got a great resume. He's got success across two weight classes. He's a former champion at lightweight. I mean, there's... He just gets kind of overshadowed by... Uh, by some of the people who came after him. And he was... And some of his contemporaries. I, And it's a shame. Because he deserves to be remembered as an all-time great. He really does. And if he's able to kind of pressure Fazeev, wrestle him a little bit, like, this is winnable for RDA. It really is. I'm still going to lean towards Fazeev, and I might feel really, really silly about this. But I, I'm just, I think he's on the way up, and I think RDA might be on, more on the way down. Now, that might still be true, even if RDA wins. He might still be on the way down, but... Uh, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Fazeev, but that's a really good fight. Those top two fights are really good. Also really good, featherweight fight, Edson Barboza and Bryce Mitchell. Ooh. Here's the thing about this fight. The longer it stays on the feet, the more it favors Edson Barboza. That should not be a surprise. If this goes to the ground, it favors Mitchell. Mitchell is a very tenacious and energetic grappler, man. He hunts for the back. He is great about retaining it. He's great about attacking you and threatening you with with submissions. This is very much, you know, are we on the feet? Favoring Barboza. Are we on the mat? Favoring Mitchell. This is a big step up for Bryce Mitchell. Now, Mitchell's undefeated. Uh, he's again, 14 and 0. He missed all of last year. Um, yeah. yeah, he missed all of last year. I don't even think he had something scheduled at any point. Uh, non-trivial layoff. But Barboza can still be pressured. He's still not great about it. He's better than he used to be. Uh, but he's still not great about dealing with just kind of relentless pressure. And Mitchell will pressure you. 
Barboza's takedown defense is good. But the, I don't anticipate this being much of a back and forth fight. I tend to think that whichever of these two is go, is better about forcing the fight to be in their area is going to exist at a pretty significant advantage. Uh, if Barboza can keep this on the feet for a long period of time, that favors him heavily. Can, the reverse true of Mitchell. If he can get this thing to the ground, that favors him pretty heavily. Ah, picking a winner here is hard. Anytime you've got that stark a dichotomy on paper, it's a little bit hard to predict. Because it's not like Mitchell can't strike at all. And it's not like Barboza can't grapple. Uh, it's just where, the, where are the disparities the highest. I'm going to lean towards Mitchell here, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, I, I, I might feel real stupid. Another one that I might feel real stupid about, but I'm going to lean towards Mitchell. It's a really good fight, though. It's a really good fight. Uh, welterweight, Kevin Holland will be fighting Alex Oliveira. I'm confusing Kevin Ho I don't think I'm confusing Kevin Holland with someone. Um, no, no. I'm not I'm not objectively confusing him with someone. There's someone else that I'm thinking of a little bit who has a similar frame but fights at middleweight and I can't remember who it is. Holland fought at middleweight. Oh, this is his welterweight debut is the thing. Right? Yeah. Uh he's coming off of a fight with Kyle Dawkins. He lost to Marvin Vittori before. Yeah, he, he's dropping I I assume he can make that weight, but that's a serious cut. He was a lanky guy at at middleweight. Um, he's fighting Alex Oliveira. I will fate. Oliveira's kind of on the downside of things. He's two and six in his last eight. He's on his second three-fight losing streak. He's also like the most consistently dirty fighter in the UFC. If you watch his tactics, I'm gonna pick Holland here. At uh, heavyweight, God help us all. Greg Hardy will fight Sergey Spivak. Why is this? Okay, there are at least three other fights that should be on the main card of this pay-per-view instead of this. At least. Actually, more than three. Yeah, but for some reason, Greg Hardy. Um, Spivak just had a three-fight losing, uh, winning streak broken when he fought Tom Aspinall. Aspinall is a very... Espinel's a very bright prospect and you know, kind of rising contender at heavyweight, so no shame. That's a loss that will probably age well. Put it like that. Um, what did Hardy do last time out? Got knocked out by Tai Tuivasa July of last year. He's been out for a bit. Um, th these two were supposed to fight... Not these two, but Hardy was supposed to fight Alexi Olenek at UFC 270. Olenek pullout was replaced by Spivak, then uh, Hardy withdrew, and they got moved to here. Um, I can't pick Greg Hardy at this point again. I cannot pick Greg Hardy to win a fight against someone I know is good enough to consistently win fights in the UFC. And, I, and Sergei Spivak is good enough to consistently win fights in the UFC. But that's your main card. Three really good fights, a welterweight fight that's solid, and a skippable heavyweight affair.
As for the prelims, lightweight, Jalen Turner and Jamie Malarkey. I kind of like Turner here, actually. Uh, he's on a three-fight winning streak. He is 4-1 and one at lightweight in the UFC. Only lost to Matt Frivola. Uh, whereas Malarkey... Two and two on a two-fight winning streak. Yeah, yeah, Turner. Uh, that fight could be on the main card. Marina Rodriguez and Jan Shaunan, women's strawweight fight. This could easily be on the main card instead of Spivak and Hardy. And I'm going to do that for a bunch of these fights now because I'm just going to do it. Um, Rodriguez is coming off a win over Mackenzie Dern. She's on a three-fight winning streak. Her only loss was a split decision to Carla Esparza that I thought she won, personally. Uh, whereas Jan... Jan is coming off of a loss to Carla Esparza, but had was on a long winning streak before that. Um, Jan Shannon is really, is pretty darn good. Uh, it's a good fight. I'm going to lean towards Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez should probably uh, should probably be in the title picture sooner rather than later. As she's very good. But that's a that's a good fight. Light heavyweight Nikolai Negomarianu and Kennedy and Zechaku. This fight should not be on the main card over Hargi and Spivak. That would be a lateral move. Um, Negomarianu is. On a two-fight winning streak. Romanian, right? Yeah. Uh, and Zechiku coming off of a loss to Da Jung. He got brutalized by elbows. I feel like I don't give Zechiku credit when he should have it, and I think that's a me problem. Um, I got one impression of him from his first like couple of fights in the UFC, and... I don't think it's the most accurate perception of him anymore, but it's still kind of there. Uh, I think he's better than I give him credit for most of the time, and I do want to acknowledge that. I'm still going to pick Negamariano here, but it's mediocre light heavyweights. Flip a coin. Women's flyweight Marina Moros and Maria Agapova. These two do not like each other, apparently. Um, Moros is on a two-fight winning streak. She's been kind of up and down in the UFC, but... Uh, one more than she's lost. Her losses are to Valerie Letourneau, Carla Esparza, and Angela Hill. Those are all three really good fighters. Uh, Agapova is one and two. Came out like a hurricane against Tana Cyphers. Tried to do that against Shauna Dobson and gassed herself out badly. Then was a bit more controlled in her fight with Sabina Mazo and got a finish late in the er, in the third round, not late in the third. Um, my hunch is Agapova here, but she is almost Agapova is almost impossible to get a real handle on uh, in terms of predictions at the moment because she's so you don't really know what you're getting. Is the way, I think the best way to put that. That one could be on the main card. Early prelims. Brian Kelleher will fight Umar Nurmagomedov. This could be on the main card. And yes, I probably could stop doing that at this point, but uh, I know the UFC would never do that because it's featherweights, but I'm 
Uh, Umar Nurmagomedov is undefeated. He is 13-0. and 0. Uh, Had a successful UFC debut over Sergey Morozov little over a year ago. I wonder what he's been out for. Uh, I like Kelleher a lot. I was, uh, he's a durable veteran. He's a tough guy. But I think Nurmagomedov is is the one kind of on the come up here. Flyweight Tim Elliott and Tagir Ulanbekov. This could be on the main card too, but the UFC hates flyweights. Um, Ulanbekov is 13 and one. He's got two wins in the UFC over Bruno Silva and Alan Nascimento. Elliot, I mean, Elliot's been around forever. Everyone kind of knows. This is a stern test for Ulanbekov. I'm not going to try and downplay that. Um, Elliot's coming off of a loss to Mateus Nicolau. Had won two in a row before that. Over Jordan Espinoza, Ryan Benoit. I'm going to lean towards Ulanbekov, but this is a stiff test for him. Elliot, Tim Elliot's a. I don't mean this unkindly, but. He's kind of a he's kind of the acid test a little bit here, right? A little bit of a gatekeeper as far as what your ceiling can be in the UFC. Uh, light heavyweight fight between Mikhail Oleksandrik and uh, Dustin Jacoby. That has a bit of potential, believe it or not. Both men are strikers by trade. Um, Oleksandrik keeps a high pace, goes to the body. Uh, Jacoby's the more technical kickboxer. In fact, he had a pretty good run in Glory. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Jacoby here. But that's not a terrible fight for light heavyweight, believe it or not. It's, it's better than Negamariano and Nzechiku. Uh, then we have a couple of fights that I'm not sure where they're going to be. One of them, uh, Manon Foyro, is supposed to be on this card. She was supposed to fight Jessica I, but I had to pull out. That would have gone. That fight would have gone very badly for Jessica I. Is kind of my hunch. So at the moment we don't know if they're rescheduling it or if they're going to find someone else to fight for. Though I, I have no problem picking men on in the dark. And a lightweight fight between Devontae Smith and Ludovic Klein. Uh, Klein is on a two-fight losing streak. He's only one and two in the UFC. Uh, just not great. And. Devontae Smith, let's see, he's 2-3 and three in the UFC. Coming off of a loss to Jamie Malarkey. I don't mind picking Smith there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, but Klein is better than his UFC record indicates. Let me just make sure that's very clear. But he's, he kind of needs to prove that he's found his footing here or he might be in serious trouble. Uh, but that, that's not a bad fight either. So that's UFC 272. Uh, yeah, it's a solid card, actually, uh, on paper. You know, We'll have to see how it plays out in practice. But I will cover that this Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So if that strikes your fancy, if you're interested at all in that, please do give it a look. And if not, you can listen to my podcast review of it next week. So either way, I appreciate any and all support I can get. Alrighty, does not look like we have any questions. Uh, I put up a tweet. You can follow me at WinFreeMMA if you're so inclined. I'm a benign follow, I promise. I will not flood your Twitter feed with porn or politics. So, again, I'm relatively benign. You tend to see me active on fight uh, when fights are happening, and I just 
retweet finishes, give my thoughts on technique and whatnot. I, I promise you'll be perfectly safe following me. Uh, but I put up a tweet there, and if any of you listening are my friend on Facebook, I put up a Facebook post asking for uh, questions if you have them for the show. None came in this week, so we'll do that again next week. In the interim, let's get to plugs, and we can get out of here. All right. Uh, let's see. This week, I have my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage over at 411mania.com in the Wrestling Zone, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW, I think they have Fusion again this week. Whatever MLW does on Thursdays, they switch back and forth between specific titles at this point in time. So whatever they do, I've got it. I've got it. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. You can read my reports for the most recent episodes of those from last week or my upcoming ones for the following week. I'm there. They churn out the content every week, and I am there to review it. That's kind of how that goes. And, of course, UFC 272 on Saturday. If you're interested in some of my other stuff, I mentioned I did a a watch-along for the fight between um, Colbert and Garcia. You can find that over on the W2M network. Uh, You can also find some of my other podcasts over there. I review movies on Damn You Hollywood. It's a show show I co-host. This last week, we reviewed the Uncharted movie starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. That's myself, Mark Radulich, and we had Alexis Haina on, so give that a listen if you're so inclined. Uh, this week, no, no damn you Hollywood this week. There's not really anything coming out, but the next week is uh, the week after that, so the uh, the, fir- the first Saturday and whatnot of March will be the Batman, so on the 8th we'll be reviewing that. I'll plug that again next week. Uh, and... What did I do last week? I think that was it. It was a re-air. Um, some confusion about my involvement in that one. But I'm bitter. Uh, yeah. So that's it. So if you want my thoughts on, again, my thoughts on movies, you can plug in Damn You Hollywood into your podcast search, and you'll get the movie review podcast that I do over on the W2M Network. You can follow that uh, group of people. And there's a lot of content that's put out over there. I'm on Damn You Hollywood most 90% of the time. I... Contribute to TV parties frequently. Uh, sometimes the Metal Hammer of Doom. So there's a lot of stuff that I contribute to over there. So again, give it a listen if you're so inclined and you want my thoughts on stuff other than combat sports. Right, with that, with that done, we'll be back here next week to review UFC 272 and we will be previewing UFC. We'll be previewing UFC Fight Night 203, UFC and ESPN Plus 61, UFC Vegas 50. Yeah. Uh, it is headlined by Tiago Santos and Magomed Ankalaev. Not a bad fight. Pretty decent step up for Ankalaev, who is a guy who might be champion sooner rather than later. You know, I, I didn't officially make a bold prediction for 2022, but if you want one from me, it goes as follows, in my bold prediction. The UFC light heavyweight title will not be successfully defended in the year 2022. Now, I think Yuri's going to take it from Glover, and then I tend to think Ankalaev's going to take it from Yuri, and that's kind of going to be it. Um, that Now, I might be very wrong about that. Again, it's kind of a, you know, what's your, your bold prediction for the year? That's my bold prediction. 
I, I think that title is going to play hot potato in 2022. Also on that card, Marlon Moraes fights Song Yudong. It's a good fight. Tadik Yusuf Nas Caceres. We'll give a full preview of this next week. I'm just giving a quick look over the card at the moment. Um, it's a fairly typical... Yeah, it's a fairly typical fight night, and it's uh, a bit thin. But full preview next week, so come back and get a listen on that. All right. That is it for me. Thank you all very, very much for listening. The world's a crazy place, so stay... I will see you next week. The world's a crazy place. Stay safe out there. And as always, continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>